Well, again, welcome. If this is your uh, first time with us here at Red Mountain, we're glad you're here. And um, before we turn our attention to Psalm 127 tonight, I have a, a rather significant announcement to make for the life of Red Mountain Church. We, um, I want to update you on some conversations that your elders, your session, have been having over the last several months. We have um, been talking and discussing uh, about whether or not we should move to morning worship at Red Mountain Church. And um, as of this last Thursday, we have uh, culminated several months of talking, thinking about that, and decided that we're going to move to morning worship in 2018, probably about sometime in the first six months of that year. And I want you to know that that decision is not done lightly. We wrestled through all kinds of questions and challenges and, and various perspectives that we uh, have come to know about in conversations with many of you here in, our, in the congregation. And, um, and we realize that this is maybe one of the biggest decisions or biggest changes in maybe the history of Red Mountain, short of moving from five points to the Avon several years ago. And we recognize that it is a significant change, and we also recognize that my guess is that for some of us, this will be very welcome news, uh, but there may also be some of you who find this a bit sad and may even grieve over this change some, and it may even be frustrating to some of you, um, and that's not lost on us. We, we, we as your elders have talked through that and, and understand that. And that's even been voiced to some degree, even our own wrestling, even though we're all unanimous in this decision. And so we want to do our best to work through this decision and transition as a church family. Uh, so one way we want to do that is we're going to have a meeting Wednesday, November 15th, uh, to unpack the why and the how of this decision and also give you opportunity to ask questions and, and express thoughts about the decision. And uh, we'll, like we have in past Wednesday gatherings, we'll provide dinner and child care for that as well. So um, we'd love to have as many of you there as we can. And uh, if you're going to come and, and bring little ones as usual, uh, it'd be great if you could RSVP to Maggie Parsley uh, between now and then. And also want you to know that between now and then, if you want to talk or express thoughts or concerns or questions about uh, the process or the, de- the decision, you need to know that every single one of your elders would be more than happy to sit down and talk with you and hear you and listen. Please hear us on that. Uh, please take advantage of that. That's what we're here for. Um, I hope you hear me on that. Um, so that's the big announcement. We're planning to move to the morning uh, for worship in sometime in the first half of 2018. There are lots of logistics we have to work through between now and then, but we wanted to let you know that as soon as we could and be able to try to put ourselves in a position to answer your questions um, as easily as possible as well. So um, let me pray for us uh, before uh, we transition and look here at Psalm 127. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, 
we pray that uh, you would help us to remember uh, that this is your church and that you are the one who goes before us to make our paths straight. And Father, we, we confess that we are limited, that uh, we are not able to see very far at all, uh, that in, in, in everything we do, we are utterly dependent upon you. And so, Father, as we um, hear this news and uh, the beginning of a process of moving to morning worship, I pray that you would draw near to us, that you would deal, deal tenderly with us, that you would give us grace as a church family to, um, to put into practice what does it mean to uh, come alongside one another, especially. Uh, Especially when perhaps we have different reactions. Some may be glad, some may be sad. And we ask that you, our Father, would take care of us. That through change, that through transition, uh, you would work in our midst. And that you would help us to cling to you, our rock and our redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are, uh, again, if you're visiting or, or um, you've, you haven't been around for a few weeks, we're in the midst of a series from the Psalms, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, and that group of Psalms is often referred to as the Psalms of Ascent, and they, they're a collection that describe the journey of faith, the ups and the downs, the good and the bad, and everywhere in between, and, and they also... We've seen so far how uh, they describe that this journey of faith is often tiring. That it often exposes us as people in great need of help. And at the very same time, we've also seen it has a destination. That it's not just a journey that runs in circles over and over and over and gets nowhere. But it's headed somewhere. It's headed to what we have seen so far as the psalmist refers to as the the city of Jerusalem, also referred to as Zion. It's the place where God dwells. It's the place where God meets with his people. And as we come to Psalm 127, you'll notice that this is also a city psalm. If you look there in verse 2, we're actually in the middle of verse 1, where it says, unless the Lord watches over the city, or the very end, the idea of the city gates are mentioned. This is a city psalm. It's another Zion psalm, a Jerusalem psalm. Now, why is that important? Because what you need to realize is that what this is talking about is not a city in general. It's not really, where, it's not a psalm that we could take and say, oh, this is talking about any city. Because the idea of the city of Jerusalem, the city of David, Zion, is also what we find in the New Testament It's where God dwells with his people. Now, where does that happen now? That's the church. The new Jerusalem. Now, we await the heavenly Jerusalem. But in the story of all of Scripture, Zion is the church where God meets and dwells with his people. And so this is a psalm written for God's people. And you might... Notice it on your, um, in your handout that the very beginning ascribes this psalm or attributes this psalm to Solomon. 
And there, there are only two psalms in the entire Psalter, all 150, that are attributed to Solomon. This one and Psalm 72. And why is that worth mentioning? Because Solomon is King David's son. And Solomon is the one who built the temple. He saw the glory days, as it were, of Jerusalem. He saw the city flourish. Solomon was perhaps the wealthiest in the world in his time. He also was incredibly wise. And so when we come to a psalm written by Solomon, we ought to expect it to be dripping with wisdom. And that's what we find in this psalm. It's, it's a wisdom psalm. And it, it, it describes three things that occupy the vast majority of our lives. Things like building, guarding, and family. Work, uh, safety, children. Something that Solomon knew a great deal about. And something, the things that perhaps occupy the vast majority of our day uh, and time. So Psalm 127 is really about the daily work and plans that make up the journey of faith. Not the big picture things, but the mundane, the everyday things, the ordinary things. And yet, to be a Christian, which is to say to be a follower of Jesus, it doesn't mean that you are immune to what the writer here calls anxious toil in verse 2. In other words, Perhaps you're here this evening and you find yourself asking, you know, what's the point? I get up early, I go to bed late, and I'm worn out. Uh, What's the point of all of this? What does it all amount to? Why does my life feel so futile and full of wasted effort? Will anything good come from my getting up tomorrow and going to work? Whatever work may be for you, it may be going to school tomorrow and you have a teacher that you really don't like because they ask you to do stuff that you think is stupid <laughs> and you don't want to do it. Or maybe work for you is a, what we normally think. It's a normal nine-to-five job and you go and you continue to do the same things and it just doesn't seem like it amounts to a whole lot. I had a friend who actually was a pediatric surgeon, does hundreds of surgeries on infants every year that are life-saving surgeries. And I kid you not, he was world-renowned. He was the head of the Duke Pediatric Surgery um, Department. And he said to me over dinner, and he's like, well, I just, I'm bored. I, I just don't know what it all amounts to. And I was like, What do you mean you don't know what this amounts to? Like, you're saving children's lives. Like, you could save my kid's life. He's like, I know, I just do it all the time. (laughs) Wow. Maybe you feel like that. You might be doing something really important. Or you might be doing something really mundane. And you feel anxious toil. So what I want to do, I want us to look at this psalm under two questions. Why do we live anxious lives? And how can we live fruitful lives? Why do we live anxious lives and how can we live fruitful lives? So first, let's look at why do we live anxious lives. 
Look at verse 1 and 2 here, especially verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Uh, Perhaps you've had this experience. It's a common one where um, despite all your efforts, you get nowhere. Have you ever felt like that? Can you think of a time in your life where you have expended a great deal of energy? Maybe there was a project you're working on and you had to present it to people. And you did all kinds of thinking and reflecting of um, playing devil's advocate, uh, thinking through the pros and the cons and laying out a plan and presenting it only to have somebody shoot it down. And then realize you had no idea how much of your heart was in it and how hurtful it actually was to put in all that time and feel like this was for nothing. Or maybe you have a friendship or maybe it's your spouse where you have the same kinds of conversations and they're hard over and over. And you think you're making headway only for this person to do the same thing to you again. Have you ever had that experience where despite all your efforts, you seem to get nowhere? You plan your work and you work your plan and only to see it all go up in flames. You see, verses, verse 1 and 2, they are really a warning about work. They're a warning about the way you and I go about our everyday lives. And the warning is, You and I are tempted to go about our everyday lives as if God didn't matter. As if all that really mattered was our efforts, what we bring to the table. And verse 1 is a warning that says our success, our fruitfulness, depends on God and not on our efforts. And in fact, notice there's a key word in verses 1 through 2. It's the word vain. In verse 1, it appears twice. Those who build it without the Lord, the house without the Lord, they labor in vain. Uh, The watchman who watches over the city without the Lord stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. This idea of vain, it's, it's, it's a concept that's all over the book of Ecclesiastes. But the idea here is slightly different. Here, this idea of vain is that it proves useless. That your work is, really ends up being wasted effort. It doesn't achieve what you set out to accomplish. It's vain. It doesn't take... Let me give you an old example of this and then a much newer example. An old example of this, perhaps one of the best examples, is actually found in the Bible. Very early chapters of Genesis in chapter 11, where we find the Tower of Babel. It's a story of people who uh, gather together and they hatch a plan to build a great city and a great tower. And in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 11, it says... Let's build a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and make a name for ourselves. 
Here is an example of building a house, building a city, building a tower, building a name for yourself without any regard for God at all. But another example of this, much more recent, David Brooks, he's a common, often writer for the New York Times, um, playing off the idea that we live in a democracy, also says that we live in what he calls a meritocracy. That we live in a culture of merit. That everything about your life really depends on your accomplishments. That is your fundamental identity. Another way to put it is your resume. That is who you are. That's what a meritocracy believes. And he writes, starting at birth, middle-class Americans are called on to master skills, do well in school, practice sports, excel in extracurricular activities, get into college, build their resumes, change careers, excel in romance, set up retirement plans, and so on. This is a way of life that emphasizes individual achievement, self-propulsion, perpetual movement, and permanent exertion. Does that not sound like it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest? I just get tired reading that description. Now, what if, how would you know if, if you've bought into that? If you've bought into the meritocracy or you've bought into the story of Babel, of making a name for yourself, of justifying your existence. Look in verse 2. He describes here this experience. How you can tell is you get up early, you go to bed late, and your steady diet is of anxious toil. anxiety, of self-concern, of worry, unable to stop, your mind won't shut down. There's no savoring of life at all. There's no joy. It's just anxious toil. Now, think about it for a moment. What, what is anxious toil? One way to think about it is that it's actually looking to your work looking to your efforts to give you what only God can give you. But you're not sure that they ever will really come through. Where, that's where the anxiety comes in. Think of it also like this, that anxious toil is really a form of meditation. Like worry. Worry is really thinking about something intently. But it can't bear the weight of what you long for. But you meditate on it. You think about it. Everybody meditates. Everybody gives their heart and their mind to something. That's what anxious toil really is. Will my work stand the test? Will it really work? Another writer in reflecting on on anxious toil puts it like this, that anxiety, it asks for more information So it can manage the world apart from God. That's anxious toil. That's building the house and doing so in vain. Now, what would be the solution to that? Look at the end of verse 2. For he gives to his beloved 
sleep. This is a phrase in verse 2 that's worth pondering and, and meditating on well beyond this evening. God gives to his beloved sleep. Now to grasp this, I want you to, to think with me about this for a moment. We need to ask ourselves a question here. What would you say is the opposite of rest? You can just answer in your own head. What would you say is the opposite of rest? Um, when I was thinking about this, if you asked me that, my, my answer would be, well, the opposite of rest is work. Um, particularly if you're sort of thinking about a biblical framework, you, you work six days, you rest one day. Um, but what I want you to notice here is that Psalm 127 does not see work as the problem. It doesn't see the things that you aspire to or that you long to do or you are doing as the problem. What Psalm 127 sees as the problem is restlessness. That the opposite of rest isn't work, but restlessness. Think of, this is how an old church father, St. Augustine, would put it. He says, you made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Opposite of rest is not work, but it's a restless heart. Why is that important? Because what you need is not a different job, not a different spouse, not a different family, not different circumstances. You need a new heart. You need a God who brings rest at the deepest level of your being. That's the idea behind the Lord, he gives rest, he gives to his beloved sleep. The, the idea is, is not, okay, well, God has to do all the work. That's how things will happen. It is not a let go and let God. That is not a biblical idea at all. The Bible is very pro-work. It's dignifying. It's what you were made for. In fact, God is described as one who works in this passage. But what we most need is something to deal with the restlessness of our own hearts. So, what does that mean? How does that happen? It means that we begin to discover that you are not alone in your daily work. It, be, it, it means beginning to realize that there is one who is working, that God is at work, that he has, and if, if you are a believer in Jesus, that he has begun a good work in you, and he will bring it to completion, not just in you, but the whole world. What this means is you begin to realize that for God to give you sleep, this is permission to stop. It is permission to say you can abandon your work and trust him to take care of you. One of my favorite, I'll, I'll apply this personally, maybe you can use it. One of my, I try to remember one of my favorite quotes that I use all the time is that um, you never finish working on a sermon. <laughs> you only abandon it and trust that what is heard is better than what's said. You're supposed to, you can chuckle at that. Um, 
I know, it's cloudy today. But think about that for your own life. How hard is it to put down your anxious toil? If you're like me, you can't turn off your mind. I mean, there are many nights where I find myself, my mind is just going. Where do you find help for that anxious toil and that restlessness? It's the Lord who gives sleep to his beloved. Now, that's why we live anxious lives. We think that what we do is ultimate. That it's more significant. It's more determinative. It makes more of a difference than God's promises and His building, His guarding, His provision. Now, as we come to the verses 3 to 5 and how can we live fruitful lives, there, there are a lot of commentators who discuss, okay, how are you supposed to connect verses 3 to 5 with verses 1 to 2? And I think the whole psalm is a unified whole, partly because as it transitions into this, this, this example, description about having children and a family, if you notice in verse 1, um, the idea here of building a house. Well, that's not a whole lot different than the idea of a household growing, becoming more full of children, of a growing family. And yet, when you come to the second half of the psalm, I do think um, what's even more important is that we see ourselves in our daily work in relationship to God's work. That's really what the psalm is helping us to see. What's the overlap? How do they fit together? What is our relationship to God and His work as we get up and go to sleep and face the anxious toil that often plagues you or plagues me? So how do we move from anxious lives to fruitful lives? Notice in verse 3 to 5, we have this example. And it begins with, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the, of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Now remember, in the background of this psalm is the overlap between God's work and our work. And, and how we so often get that messed up where we begin to see that our work, and that's all we see. How do they fit together? This, these verses are intended to help us to see that. First of all, notice that just on the surface of it, verses 3 to 5, they celebrate the idea of family and children. The Bible is very pro-family, very pro-children, and that's perhaps not new to some of you, but it's worth repeating, particularly in our day and time. The whole Bible is a story of how God works through families, beginning with Abraham and through him to bless the nations. And even in the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2, we're told that the promises are to families and to their children and to all whom God would call to himself. That God is very pro-family and pro-children. However, I think if 
either um, you have children or um, you are a child, which means all of us in some way, shape, or form, it doesn't always feel like children are a blessing. (laughs) And certainly not lots of them, Uh, especially if you're in the midst of raising them. And, And not only that, you know, these verses might actually sting some, either because you don't have children or you can't have children. And you may think, well, great. Then this cuts me out of this blessing of what's promised here. And I want to remind you that before you go down that road, remember, this is a wisdom psalm. It's meant to teach us something about who God is and how he relates to us. So how does this example help us? One writer helps us by putting it like this. He says, the entire miracle of having children requires our participation, but hardly in the form of what we call work. We do not make these marvelous creatures to walk and talk and grow among us. We participated in an act of love that was provided for us and the structure of God's creation. What's he talking about? Well, I'll try to be appropriate. I know some of us are in fourth grade and probably need some, you know, I don't know, layers of instruction on this. But the idea is this. The psalmist is putting in front of you that God has given this beautiful act between a husband and a wife by which when they come together, new life is created. And my guess is none of us would think about that as work. But it's an, it is nevertheless something we participate in. And it is through that act of love that God creates new life. It's an example of how we participate in God's work. Now, in this psalm, it's talking about house building and safekeeping and family, but it's a principle that applies in every part of life. This is a picture that helps us to see that, oh, okay, yeah, parenting might be really hard for you and utterly overwhelming for you, or parenting might be an experience that God in his mysterious will has not brought into your life. And yet, this is a a passage that helps you to see Wow, God gives good blessings. And those blessings, in this case of children, are like arrows in the quiver of a warrior. The idea that you're prepared, you're guarded, and that when there's problems, like in the end of verse 5, there are those around to help, to come alongside you. All ways in which God works to bless you. Now, how do you enter into this? How do you overlap with this? Well, I want you to remember how I just said that verses 3 and 5 really describe God's work through an act of love between a husband and a wife, out of which something totally new and beautiful comes. Well, look at verse 3 again. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. 
Where's the good news here? The good news is that God doesn't just give children to men and women, husbands and wives. God gave his own son. There is a greater act of love that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Where do you see the clearest, most beautiful, most pure picture of God's work, God's divine work, overlap with human work? It's in the person of Jesus where the divine and the human come together in order to be for you and for me what we could never be in order to bring an end to your anxious toil, to bring an end to your sleepless nights and your fitful mornings that are plagued by, how do I know my work will measure up, that will actually work? You see, the good news of the gospel is that there is a more ultimate work in Jesus Christ. And it's a work that comes to us and says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So what what are we supposed to do with Psalm 127? Perhaps you're still anxiously toiling, and you're thinking about tomorrow. Uh, I know if I were sitting in your seat, half the time I'd probably be thinking about that rather than maybe listening to me. I know what that's like. Um, Maybe you're anxious and you're toiling. What I want you to know is that Jesus came for anxious people. Think of, and in, 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 to bring this to a, a conclusion, think of the story of Mary and Martha. These are two sisters that Jesus got to know during his ministry, and he came to their house one day, and he entered in, and they had two very different responses to Jesus. Uh, Martha, she Uh, was very distracted and frantically was working to get things arranged and working to make things right for Jesus to be there and serving and going and coming and stewing and muttering. And eventually she says to Jesus, can't you get my sister Mary to help me? And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. And so I want to leave you with this question. What is the one thing necessary for you? What is the good portion that you need? Maybe the one thing necessary and the good portion that you and I need is what Mary did. She sat at Jesus' feet and she listened. She sat at his feet, and she listened. That's why we read from John 15 earlier. How do you abide in Jesus? I suppose there's a lot you could say about that, but it begins with sitting at his feet and receiving from him. Not just his teaching, but all that he came to do by dying and rising from the dead. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for the ways in which you work, uh, the ways in which you deal tenderly with us. Father, we pray that um, 
you would set us free from our anxious toil. We do pray that the gifts spoken of in this psalm that you give to your beloved sleep, I pray that we would know that and experience that. And if any of us are here this evening and that just falls really flat and, in fact, maybe even makes us mad and and frustrated because we long for that, I pray that you would root out even those very good things that vie for uh, your attention, that vie for your love and, and, and promises. We pray that you would turn us back to you, that you would give us confidence that your great act of love in sending Jesus is sufficient for us, that because you have sent him You are not playing games. You are not withholding anything from us. And therefore, we can rest. And rest not just physically, but in our hearts. Knowing that you are a good God in everything you do and in everything you say. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.